if they're really only going to now eat at restaurants where the the activities of the restaurants don't matter, right? Chick-fil-A will serve anybody gay straight, doesn't matter. Everybody is happy to eat a chicken sandwich, Chick-fil-A will serve. The, the real question is if you are going to start boycotting businesses based on the personal views of the owners of the business, well, then we're going to end up with basically a two-tiered political system in every aspect of American life. And the country can't last that way. I mean, if I literally have to check out the political donation record of the restaurant's owner where I go to patronize the burger, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how we're going to last as a country this way. Yeah, you have to. All right. Um, that was uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, I'm another Ben, Ben Burgess. Uh, and I am joined by the crew, by um, uh, producer, YouTube manager, Kelly Carey, uh, by producer, Kale Brooks, by graphic designer, uh, J. Andrew World, in a little bit while. Uh, Going to be joined by the founding editor of Current Affairs, uh, Nathan Robinson, and uh, and then a little bit later by our good friend, uh, extended crew member, uh, Gene Bajalon, uh, to uh, devote this episode to um, an extended exploration of Mr. Ben Shapiro. Because a little while ago, we, we did a episode called Sam Harris is Wrong About Everything. A little poetic license, but it's almost true. Uh, and uh, and we also, before that, we uh, we did a episode called uh, Jordan Peterson wants you to clean twelve more rooms. It's like, okay, Harris Peterson, you know, Shapiro was feeling a little left out, so uh, we thought we'd uh, we'd do do uh, do Shapiro. Uh, that just now that we watched uh, was uh, a you know an explanation from actually. Do, do we know when that clip is from? We have that. It was it was from 2019, if I remember correctly. Okay, so that's Shapiro in 2019. Uh, so um, I'm going to take a big sip of coffee. And uh, what is Shapiro saying in 2021 of this subject of uh, of whether you should allow politics to decide which products you buy? Ooh. Uh, so uh, this for people listening to this later in uh, podcast form. Who aren't seeing what's on screen? Uh, ben and Jerry's tweet: Ben and Jerry's will end sales of our ice cream in the occupied Palestinian territory. Uh, and uh, Ben quote tweets this and says, "Oh well, guess I won't be eating any more of your ice cream." Which uh, you know, it's a it's a small thing, but it's just kind of funny uh, that uh, that the entire thing he just said about Chick Fil A would uh, would seem to I hear. Uh, and you know, whatever, I'm not even, you know, the biggest fan of consumer boycotts as a, as a, uh, you know, as a tool for, for social change. I think that we should focus on the areas where the working class has the most power, which is either in the you know, ballot box where their numbers are in the workplace. I uh, wrote an article about that for Jackman a little while ago, um, called voting with your dollars is an anti-democratic illusion, but you know, forget that for a second, <laughs> uh, just like the inconsistency is funny, and you know, frankly, it's also a little bit funny just because it's ice cream. Yeah, it was, I was pretty shocked when Ben and Jerry's came out with Gaza caramel strip, but you know, it probably <laughs> tastes God. great. This is the whole like, oh, I'm gonna be a really good, you know, like moral consumer, and I'm only gonna buy like those things that align with my politics. Like, we don't make the rules. Like if, if the left did this, like we would have not, like we would not be able to survive in a market-based society. It, like it's, it's just, this is like the right throwing a tantrum. It's, there's nothing, 
like the whole game is stacked in their favor to you know to to throw boycott after boycott and uh and the left should see this as like an obvious and um basically unpolitical or anti-politics uh as something that is not inherently political but just you know culture war for the sake of culture war because it just keeps us away from dealing with actual issues of power of capital of capitalism um yeah no i look I mean, obviously, if we're gonna, if the left was gonna boycott everything that uh, that reflected values that we don't like, we'd all starve to death, and um, and and we wouldn't be able to live anywhere, and we wouldn't be able to drive, and you know, etc. But uh, but also, it, it it is just a little bit funny because when it's uh, I was I was talking to Kelly about this earlier today, and it seems like when it's something that Shapiro uh, doesn't care about, right, which would be. You know, which would be Chick Fil A donating to groups that were trying to to dissolve people's marriages. I mean, that that's that's what that was about. Then it's like, no, come on, what are you talking about? You know, you're gonna not eat this good chicken sandwich because of politics? Yeah, whatever. Uh, but when it's something that he does care about, which is to say, some sort of like ethno nationalist drive for greater Israel, you know, then you know, then this will not stand, sir. He will be taking his business to Hagen Dus. <laughs> I I mean I. I'm sorry. I just can't stop thinking about the moment earlier in this um, segment when you said, when you introduced people to Ben Shapiro. And I just have been imagining this world where I didn't know who Ben Shapiro was this whole time. And I'm like, oh, like, here's this guy. And then I just like get to like, and I'm like, hmm, bad take. This guy might have a bad take on one thing. And I'm, I'm just like living in bliss, you guys. Like my world is so much better. And I have such a better life and I'm just leading it. Um, but the reality is he has gajillions of bad takes and they're all terribly bad. And, um, you know, it, it Kale's, Kale's right. Like most of them really do, like if taken to the extreme, you, you, you cannot, it, it, like his takes, if you apply them to the macro, then you can't, you know, then you can't live in a society, <laughs> you know, the, the, that's, that's Ben Burgess. Like he does, or <laughs> Ben, I did that to you earlier ben, when we were ben. talking. I'm sorry, wrong Bad ben. day to be a Ben. It is <laughs> a bad day to be a Ben. Sorry to all the Bens <laughs> out there and everybody, every Ben listening, but that's Ben Shapiro. Like he, I don't think that he, just has bad takes. I think that he also doesn't understand the world to the degree that you would think that he that he might when he talks about politics. Because when he talks about politics, like especially, you know, um, you know, he, he's very he's very pro-Israel. And when he when he talks about that stuff, he's 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 very informed on some level, right? So when you listen to it, you're like, okay, I'm listening to someone who's very informed, but it's so toxic in the sense that I don't think that this is somebody who has very much experience in the, like being a person in the real world and dealing with other adults in adult situations beyond, beyond, I don't know what, like, I know he has a wife and- Presumably, he has like some 
persons whom he interacts with. I don't know if I would say he has friends because I've seen some stuff. I've seen him talk about college and like that didn't seem to be like a friendly environment that he went through. Do, do, um, we, do, we, do we have that one? Oh yeah, we got that one. <laughs> Let, let's do you want to, well, hold that thought, Kelly. We got to, we got to yeah, pull it's up like, the college it's like, years. It's like, it's, like 20, it's like 20 seconds, but we have a vivid illustration. Yeah. yeah I, it, it, we, he we, just we, doesn't. We, I want to show you the 20 seconds of college. All right, let's, let's do that. Oh, okay. I'm the kind of jerk who would, who would go to a party at Harvard <laughs> Law, and we'd go we'd go to a party, and I would bring a book with me because if people were boring, I was not going to waste the two hours it's just sitting there. It's a good time there. to read right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got in a lot of good reading at these parties. So. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So off. I've seen. Yeah. So I've seen that. Well, why did he go? Why did you go to the party, man? <laughs> why didn't you just go home? Like, one would think that even someone that's that socially inept would realize that meeting people would be good for you you know just networking would be good for you later in in some ways well daddy was going to do that for him i i i don't get it like i think that he um just doesn't understand a lot about being a person (laughs) and that when he sits there with a microphone for his show, it doesn't come across as bad as it is. That's my thinking on him because he sounds like he knows, he sounds like he has a perspective that is rooted in, you know, in my opinion, terrible takes on life situations and, you know, politics and points of view. But I also think that they're rooted in just not understanding how social things work and how like, you know, one-on-one situations work and how group situations work. I just, I don't think he, it's very weird. Could I, could I just one quick thought because I, Kelly's probably right. I mean, it's hard to, you know, you know, yeah, it's uh, not, psychologize it's know, really. what's in his head, but I, I'm willing to, to believe that like, uh, Shapiro is a true believer in what he's saying and like that's sure. why he's able to be so good at just like staying on message all the time because he genuinely believes this but the thing is that the people who support him not the not the followers not the fans but like the economic entities the you know the conservative overlords that help you know carry his career forward when he's not willing to <laughs> to you know connect with his fellow you know uh, students um, those people understand that Shapiro's role in society is to basically hide or uh, pretend like capitalism and the economic system that we live in doesn't exist. That there is no economy, there is no society, it's just a bunch of individuals and some people make better choices than others. And if you make bad decisions, well, that's on you and you should have made better decisions. Uh, class is completely erased. Or when they use the word class, it, it becomes like a cultural term. It means... Um, the kinds of products you like to buy, or, you know, if you're like a classy person or something, but for the most part, like capitalism, the actual social system with actual real abstract, but real dynamics that govern our lives is, is washed away in in all of Shapiro's world. And that's whether or not he knows he's doing that, that's his function for the right. It's it's to help obscure what's actually driving people's lives. Well, I I think that, it, it's hard, you know, if, if for what you're talking about, Kale. Like, there, there's like that what you just defined as the right. 
And then there's like the right, the right, the right, the right. There's all these different versions of the right. But what you just, I think everything that you said is, is true. What, everything that you just said is true, but there's a certain segment of the right that uses him for that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And then there's not going to be like all of the segments of the right that will use him for that. I yeah. Mean, to be fair, though, uh, if he went to college at the same time as Pete Buttigieg and the Facebook guy, I'd be sitting in the corner too, reading a book, not wanting to socialize with those creeps either. So, I, I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. No. Fair enough. So, uh, when, when we were talking about this uh, earlier today, uh, Kale uh, said, uh, "Well, I, I want to warn you, Ben. I'm I'm, I'm not a uh, Ben Shapiro scholar, so you know, I, I'm not. I don't know how much I could, you know, contribute here. And and then my first reaction was to laugh at the combination of words Ben Shapiro scholar. And then my second reaction <laughs> was to uh, was to feel a little bit of shame that I sort of am, you know, that like I actually have spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking and writing about this dude, and that's obviously something's gone horribly wrong in my life for that to be the case. Wow. But uh, you know, but misery loves company, uh, and um, and 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 I want to make out all of you. Ben Shapiro scholars in the next five minutes. So um, this, you know, you really want to dig deep into him. You know, what, what should you look at? You should look at the, um, the, the materials that, you know, that he's prepared to instruct students at his, at, uh, his university. And wouldn't you know it, uh, there's a Ben Shapiro PragerU video. Oh boy. <laughs> Inject me, baby. Let's hear it. <laughs> university, November, 2015. 200 students rise up to protest the white privilege and microaggressions of the racist, bigoted Vanderbilt administration. The protesters don't offer any specific examples of discrimination, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that they feel victimized. The next day, a bag of dog poop shows up at the front door of the university's black cultural center. All hell breaks loose. Full of righteous indignation, student activist groups rush to Facebook to denounce the racist act. The police investigate. They quickly find the person responsible, but nobody is arrested. You know why? Because it turns out that the bag of excrement wasn't a racist attack. It was left by a blind girl with a service dog. She couldn't find a trash can, so wanting to do the responsible thing, she left the bag outside the door of a nearby building, knowing a janitor would pick it up and throw it away. The student group did apologize, but then they added another charge against the administration. The needs of students with disabilities on this campus are also marginalized. Seriously, this is not a joke. On the college campus today, feelings rule facts and victims are heroes. According to the left, all inequality in America is due to victimization. They start by claiming that all non-white people in America are victims of white privilege. Then come women. They're all victims of the patriarchy. Then come gays and lesbians and the transgendered. They're all victims of our heteronormative and homophobic society. But what if you have been victimized by anybody? That doesn't matter. To the left, so long as you feel victimized, you're a victim. Even if you have never actually experienced discrimination, you've surely been targeted by microaggressions. You know, nasty little words and phrases that weren't meant to be insults, but just are. If somebody asks you, where are you from? That's considered a xenophobic microaggression. They're implying that you are a foreigner. If a man holds open a door for a woman, which, by the way, you're supposed to do, that's a sexist microaggression because he's treating her like she's a helpless female. Of course, he's also treating her like she's a woman. But how would he know? And heaven forbid anybody address you by your biologically accurate pronoun. What if she identifies as a man? In short, 
Everyone's a victim, except of course. I really like the phrase biologically. So anybody who dares to disagree with the left. Yeah, wait, wait. Pause. Pause the. Of either of those crimes, you must be confronted. Okay. It's it's like it's hard. To, I'm like I have a point. Oh, wait, I, I, no, I do want to. There's, there's going to be a lot to say about this. I just wanted to interject for a second <laughs> to say I, I love the the phrase biologically accurate pronoun. Like that, like pronoun use is a feature of biology. God, you know we gotta we gotta interject uh, with some G A Cohen on on uh, Ben Shapiro's ass. Teach him the difference between material and social. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I, I there, there's a lot to. Uh, uh, there is a lot to to say about this, uh, but um, but I'm I'm worried that we're we only have half the lesson here. Okay, sorry. Let's keep going. Keep going. Even if doing so requires actual aggression, like say a riot. Here's a trick the left plays to what? justify. Their <laughs> First, they say it's okay to punch Nazis. Then they say that every conservative, in fact, everybody they disagree with, is a Nazi. What? Here's the biggest problem with the left's argument. They're based on feelings, not facts. Take white privilege. Okay, stop. The only stop. real privilege Can we in America. Stop it for a second. All right, hold on. Was this when he when he uh, um, how do you call it? Uh, pinned the, his tweet. Did he do this after making this dumb? Oh, that video. might that that might be for people who aren't sure what she's talking about. Uh, ben Shapiro's pin tweet for years has been These, faxed over. None of the opinions. none of the things, and I can speak for myself only as you 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 know. Well, no, I can, I can speak for other people. Uh, I I guess as well. You don't need to. There don't need to be microaggressions involved in this stuff. I mean, if you. If if there is white privilege, you can tangibly you can you know chart it out by you know do black people are, are black people less likely to get a, as good a job as a white person? Or, you know are Asian Americans less likely to get as good? A, 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 it turns out Asian Americans are less likely to rise above middle management than white people. I mean, it, these are tangible things. Like these, it, it's not microaggressions that so, we're worried so, about. So this I, don't, is... I don't care about microaggressions. I want to make more than seventy six cents on the dollar compared to kale because. Frankly, I deserve twice what Kale makes. I'm just kidding. Look, look, look I have a policy at GTA. <laughs> I mean, I, I I pay Kelly, you know, seventy cents, you know, a dollar. <laughs> uh, what uh, what Kale and Andy make? I mean, that's that's just you know, you don't like it, you know, go go work somewhere else. Uh, These no. aren't my feelings. Like he 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 he's he's insisting it on making it about feelings when it is in fact about facts. Like the complaints of the left are predominantly about facts. You don't, you want to do the college campus thing? Great. Do the college yeah, campus yeah. thing. The, the, but the other stuff is, is, is rooted in yeah, yeah. a lot so, so more than that. And, and yeah, it doesn't. For, for sure. Right. Like, so, so he's doing the, the typical Ben Shapiro thing and the typical lots of these guys thing, which is that, can you find examples of college students, uh, some, some, some activists in colleges, being crazy yeah of course you can right i mean that's, that's, like that's i will go out with every dude single dude that i know and that, that would be horrifying experience i can tell you right now and have them slam the door on my face forget my name and then make me pay if i could get 
um, you know, dudes to listen to me in the workplace and, uh, you know, pay equity for the rest of my life. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and that would be feelings. That would be facts caring about my feelings because that would be horrible feelings. Well, and again, the, yeah. whole, the whole point is that like Shapiro's like facts versus feelings means that there's no room for society in this, that there is no society. There's only feelings that are hurt and you should, you know, adjust your feelings to the, the raw reality of, you know, what you have to do, you know, as an individual to get by. But it doesn't there's no there's no sense of, well, what if the society you're in inhibits your ability to do something or what if it limits the choices you have as an individual to, uh, you know, that you don't have good choices or that uh, you're, you know, you don't have the resources to be able to make a better choice. None of that is a part of this. It's just, well, so, so, so that's you're the telling thing, me. Right? He has, uh, he, he did this like, so after he does his like using, like find some crazy college kids to use as a prop to set the whole thing up. He says that the left uh, says that inequality uh, only comes from whatever he said, discrimination or oppression or some word like that, right? And they're like, whatever, like, the thing that's left out of this is, okay, Ben, so if that's wrong, right, where, where, where do these inequalities come from, right? I mean, those, like, objective disparities that Kelly is talking about, the... Uh, uh, the, you know, like gender pay gap or, you know, the, the disparities between white people and black people and, you know, poverty and incarceration and education and healthcare and, you know, pretty much, pretty much everything else, you know, like, 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 like what's his, his view of, of where they come from. And that's just kind of left, left hanging, right. Cause, cause he doesn't really want to get into that. Um, and, and I do want to, um, once we're once we're done, I, I do want to go back to the the facts and feelings. Uh, by the way, just Antonio, thank you so much for the super chat. Uh, uh, he asks, "Are we going to cover the Neil interview, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson?" Uh, yes, we are. Uh, when uh, when when Nathan is here, but uh, first, uh, if if it's not going to depress uh, anybody too much, uh, I do want to just finish up here. American privilege. Everybody in America has it more than citizens of any other country in the world the privilege to make your own decisions and live the life you choose. According to the liberal Brookings Institution, if you make just these three decisions, you'll do fine. And with drive and ambition, you'll probably do better than fine. First, finish high school. Second, don't have babies before you're married. Third, hold down a job. If you do these three things, you'll be on your way to the privilege of middle-class life, regardless of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender. Also, there's no patriarchy. Women already make up the majority of college graduates. According to Time Magazine, young single women without kids already earn more than their male counterparts. Oh, and gay and lesbian couples, they earn more than their straight counterparts too. These are facts, and facts don't care about your feelings. Neither will your employer if you get a job after you leave school. The moment you graduate, reality is gonna hit you like a truck. People who give you a paycheck expect you to produce. They expect you to work hard. And all the claims of victimhood, all the whining, well, nobody cares. So stop worrying so much about your feelings and start worrying a little more about being a good person, doing your best, and not getting in your own way. If you don't, the only thing you'll be a victim of is yourself. I'm Ben Shapiro, editor of The Daily Wire for Prager University. 
Thanks, Ben. That was great. I'm so glad we watched that. <laughs> I feel like a victim of Ben Shapiro now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, just so so real quick before it gets uh, lost. Uh, okay, so uh, Daniel, thank you for the super chat. Says facts, feelings is inherently false dichotomy. Yes, I want to get into that exact point in just a minute. But first, I, I can't let that last part go by without saying that that what he's talking about there, like this is something that a lot of conservatives love, the uh, success sequence, uh, which is the idea that, um, oh, we have this statistical information that shows that if you do these three or four things, that the list very, you know, you don't have any kids until later. And, you know, you, you have, or, you know, you, you get married and, you know, and, and, and you hold down a steady job, et cetera, then you'll be, um, uh, then you won't be, you won't be living in poverty. Uh, and uh, Matt Brunig has done good stuff on this, basically showing that if you dig into the statistics, everything else is is misleading. I mean, the only part of this that's actually relevant is uh, is the having a job, basically. I mean, that's, that's the, like, everything else. Because like you say, like, once you're looking at the stats, you say, oh, if you have a job and also X, Y, and Z, Right? Are you going to be above a certain economic threshold? Yeah, sure you are. Like, but like everything else is just kind of like throwing in statistical noise to try to justify the socially conservative stuff that they want. Yeah, and it's just like it also means. I mean, like, it just even like the most generous reading of what you know Shapiro is saying of like if you just have these three things, the fact that people don't execute those in the way that he's describing it just means that you know poor people are stupid or you know they it's this whole like you know you have the wrong behavior the wrong attitude that um it's inherently something wrong with your you know the way you understand the world like the information you have in your head uh you know and so if if obviously yeah like people do have tons of mental health issues you know if only there was you know enough you know, resources put into healthcare so that everyone could have a therapist? What if it was therapists for all? What if like the therapists were paid for by a single payer system where everyone was guaranteed that they have healthcare when they need it? So they don't, uh, that, you know, mental health issues don't become hindrances on their ability to be an individual in society. Like, uh, you know, I, I just, before, you know, before I kind of finish my little spiel, I just want to share uh, the great uh, Jeremy Corbyn meme that um, people are no longer, people are not prepared any longer to live in a society. No, that's like, <laughs> this is like the, it, like just being a left, being on the left right now in the Bernie Corbyn era and like in kind of now in the post Bernie Corbyn era, it's like so much of what our politics comes down to is just saying like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we like lived in a real society? Like what if like we acknowledge the actual social systems and institutions that do in fact determine people's outcomes in life? That uh, that your your ability to make it in life is not dependent on you know the birth lottery, and that we actually did things to adjust society so that people had better outcomes. Wouldn't that be something? But uh, obviously, that doesn't really fit into the Shapiro worldview because it's not supposed to. I mean, it doesn't apply to him, so that's pretty much. Yeah. Uh so, so I, I did just want to say real briefly on the facts and, and feelings point. Uh, this is this is why uh, the the cover of my first book has the picture that Ryan Lake drew of uh, of of Dave Sh of uh, David Hume uh, shushing 
uh, Ben Shapiro is who tries to say facts don't care about your feelings. Uh, the the whole thing that he's trying to say when he says that, like to the extent that there's like a thought there and it's not just like a way of sneering, is well, fuzzy-headed like liberals and progressives and leftists and socialists base their like moral and political conclusions on their feelings, but hard-headed you know conservatives like Ben Shapiro base them on facts, which is just totally confused because of the David Hume point about facts and values that in other words, like facts can be relevant when we're trying to figure out how to achieve the goals that we care about, but the facts by themselves can't tell us which goals to, to care about that. That's, that's a, unfortunately that just is a matter, you know, that just is a matter of feelings, right? I mean, when, 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 uh, you know, Ben Shapiro wants people to stop, you know, acting like whatever sort of, you know, thing is, is he sees as his opposition, you know, crazy blue haired college kids or whatever. Uh, that's a feeling, you know, I mean, for that matter, like if you care about, you know, whatever it is that, you know, that, that he cares about having, um, you know, lowering the minimum wage and, you know, and, and, and expelling all the Palestinians, greater, greater Israel or whatever, right? Like those are goals that he cares about. Those are feelings, you know, that's, that's not, uh, the idea that there is a possible politics that would just be about facts doesn't make sense that, you know, that the facts are relevant when you're saying, oh, how do I achieve this goal that I care about? Well, here are things that have been tried and here's how they turned out. Then the, the facts come in, but actual political goals, I mean, just, just are feelings that, you know, that you, you have to, you have to care about some sort of goal in the first place. Right. I mean, I, um, I take this point from the great, Anwar Sheikh, he has, uh, and he's not the only one who's ever made this point, obviously, but, and this is relevant to when we get to in a moment, uh, the Neil deGrasse Tyson interview, this like notion of just, well, there just is objective science. And Anwar's point was, well, no, what, how you decide to measure any given thing, any social fact, any material fact, like what you decide is uh, relevant, uh, you know, the criteria that you base, you know, your collecting of information has to, it's a part of a worldview. You already are making certain judgments about the world when you say this information is relevant to look at right now versus this other thing. You know, um, you could say, one person could say, look, this this live stream is, is not very diverse at all. It's all white people. Or you could say, no, it's extremely diverse. Just look at the, the age range or look at the eye color or something. You, like the, depending on what you prioritize as relevant information as your criteria when you're going into something matters a great deal. And like, that's, you know, Shapiro. And again, we'll get to this, but like, this is, he's, he's trying to obfuscate that, that he doesn't want to deal with the actual political differences that underlie uh, the, you know, it's just objective science. Also, um, you know, there are, there are significant, and in and, and, and the case, I, I think I think it's pretty significant outliers to his like recipe for success type of thing, because <clears throat> I, I mean, I did everything that in his recipe for success of how to be financially successful. But the problem is there are economic disruptors that come into play and we can't always predict them, right? So when I was in grad school um, and, oh God, I'm 
so old. But when I was in grad school, you know, there was a major recession and literally within the year, 50% of the jobs in um, publishing, you know, whether it was, whether it was um, digital or print in New York had gone away. So I had just made a serious investment in something that no one could have foreseen um, being like totally non-viable. No, absolutely nobody could have predicted it. Well, I mean, some guy that I ended up waiting, waiting on, you know, in, like in, you know, near the financial district said that he could have predicted it, but he was totally crazy. Um, but, I, you know, and there's some people that could have foreseen it, but I mean, things like that happen. And then, you know, years, years later, like, like, so like now, you know, there are thousands of people who were very much invested in that industry that have now, I mean, it was a slow, like, you know, calling of the herd, but like thousands of people had to, you know, figure out what they were going to do with, you know, how they were going to change their trajectory of their careers. And it really didn't work out for like many, 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 many people. You yeah, know, for sure. it was a slow, uh, like move out of the city and like, you know, and there are, there are lots of industries that get up and upended like that. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly my experience of, uh, uh, you know, I, yeah, academia, you know, I, I finished yeah. grad school just as the, just the effects of, of that worldwide economic meltdown will really make themselves felt couple years later in the academic job market. So my, my, um, you know, my success recipe was to, uh, you know, was, was, was to like, you know, scrape by as an adjunct for a few years and like bounce around a couple of temporary jobs and then, um, and, and then start a Marxist podcast. So that's what everybody should do. But, um, uh, but but yeah, I think, uh, so, so we do need to show to, uh, to show the preview of the conversation with Luke and get Nathan on. uh, But, but I, I, I did just want to hit, two things because because I do not want these to get lost. So there was another there's another respect beyond the one I mentioned, which is just to try to put that more succinctly, that his success recipe really boils down to if you have a job, you're not going to be as poor as people without jobs, which, you know, is true. Uh, but like also kind of ignores the question of why it is. <laughs> that, you know, that, uh, that's not true. actually that's not actually true. Well, I mean, there, it's not going to be true in every case, but by and large, you know, I mean, like being employed, you're going to be less poor than if you're unemployed. Yeah, it's the Joan Robinson quote that uh, the only thing worse than being exploited is to not be exploited. Uh, but like, I know Nathan also had a, another respect in which um, in which it's misleading. We'll, we'll save that until he gets on. But I, I just want to point out that like he is doing the like the same thing he's doing there, just ignoring the question of, okay, so what about unemployment though? Like, is there a legitimate complaint about that? Um, and, you know, he's doing the same thing when he's talking about the pay gap. Uh, cause, uh, cause he says, well, um, you know, married, uh, you know, single women, you know, whatever, like we're, you know, women without children, you know, whatever the, the stat that, you know, that he, he drops there is, but then, he completely ignores the question of, okay, like let's like whatever percentage it is of the pay gap that comes from uh, that comes from people taking time off to like to, to raise very young children. 
like, should we just accept that as the only way that things could possibly be? Like, yeah. you know, like, like rather than having, you know, meaningful paid parental leave or state daycare, or, you know, any of that stuff. All right. Andy. Uh, swirl. That would be such, <laughs> so nice. It would be so nice. Or the yeah. men could stay at home. Sure. You know, meaningful paid parental, you know, paternal leave, you know, same, same, same deal. Um, get the have uh, choices. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Andy, uh, I, I, you, you've been a little quiet. I think maybe you've just been, been absorbing all the wisdom that was imparted through that. Yeah. Well, video. I really, I really want to get that uh, Magda cum laude um, degree from, from Prager U, that that's like my my new goal here, <clears throat> you know, with a minor in Ben Shapiro, of course. So I've been sure. just scribbling down notes, making sure making sure I'm good. No, I don't really have a whole lot uh, much to add because I tend to just ignore Ben Shapiro most of the time, um, and just see that he's trending, roll my eyes, and go on with my life. Um, right, well, we, we will we will turn so, you into a Ben Shapiro scholar before uh, before too much longer. I will say this uh, though, that, that, um, that face that Kelly just made, you're missing it if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, yeah, if you real, don't real, have to, then don't. No, I, real I, I quick, do, well, one real quick thing. I, I think uh, the the problem with Ben Shapiro's analysis is that he's a, he was a smart child, and everybody saw that he was a smart child, and everybody told him he was a smart child, and his analysis stopped at like you know age whatever his 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 curiosity kind of stopped at, and now he's projecting forward the same uh, thing that that got patted on the head whenever he's like ten, um, you know, uh, and, and I think that's that's where the uh, the problem of uh, Ben Shapiro lies. But uh, did um, any did that not happen? To, okay, l let me just take a poll. Hey, Kale, did everyone tell you you were a smart child? And did they pat you on the head and you were like, you're a smart child? And hey, Ben, like, did everyone do that to you? Because they did it to me. I mean, and I, didn't... It to me. I mean, do you watch the Jacobin YouTube channel? That They still do it to me. <laughs> <laughs> they did yeah, it to me. Like, yeah, I mean. Kale, he's a smart child every week. Uh... <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I was like, a, you know, just a little, like, thought I was a little genius, but I didn't just, like, stop thinking and like you know i mean i just kept yeah. wrecking maybe, so, so, maybe, maybe they told it to bed too many times but uh we really do need to uh to get moving so we can get nathan on in a minute uh so uh sorry nathan <laughs> thank you guys so He's much so much more interesting too <laughs> than any let's, of this uh let's do uh so uh this is uh from uh conversation uh, with uh, Jacobin uh, staff writer um, uh, Luke uh, Luke Savage about uh, James Carville. Uh, this is from last week, but because we were doing something different from last week's show, we didn't have the regular Monday preview. Uh, we do not have yet the uh, the uh, I think the episode for this going to release for for patrons on Thursday is probably going to be recorded in the next day or two. I think that might be the long delayed Harvey K. Uh, confrontation, but in any case, in this case, I was asking uh, uh, Luke uh, about uh, James Carville's uh, long record of singing the same song about how you know, Democrats lose because of fringe activists who are too far left, and kind of the um, and 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 just kind of the absurdity of uh, of Carville's claim uh, to 
uh, to be this like hyper competent technocrat who knows better, you know, how to uh, to win elections and do politics than any of these fringe left activists possibly could. So we're going to do two minutes of the uh, the preview of the Luke Savage interview dropping, you know, which which dropped for patrons uh, last Thursday. Uh, if you want to watch the whole interview, go to patreon.com slash Ben Burgess, become a GTA patron, uh, and you get uh, these weekly uh, Thursday uh, patron exclusive episodes. You get the post game right after the main show on Monday night, and uh, you uh, you get a lot else. But uh, let's, uh, let's, let's watch Luke uh, do a little James Carville so we can go back to Ben Shapiro. You know, but the war room, um, you know, however much you want to fault the filmmakers, um, really did build, uh, you know, brands for guys like George Stephanopoulos and James Carville, who are kind of the stars of the film. And, you know, a lot of the sort of uh, a lot of the film's appeal, I think, when it came out was that, you know, it, the, it was kind of billing itself as like, look, we're peeling back the curtains to show you what, you know, the the smart the smart backroom boys of politics, uh, what they do. And. Um, so, you know, on paper anyway, the idea is that like, look, we're demystifying politics, we're breaking the fourth wall. Um, but I think, uh, the, the sort of, um, you know, wizardry that you're supposedly seeing from these strategists, you know, um, is really about, uh, kind of elevating them as the separate, uh, the separate class that has a kind of, uh, you know, a secret knowledge that is really impenetrable to the rest of us. Um, you've seen you've seen that I think increasingly since the the early '90s um, with strategists, with consultants, and with pollsters as well to to some extent. And of course, consultants are often just you know kind of a hybrid of of um, of those two things. And and it's pretty funny because if you if you watch the film, what you'll see is that Carville and Stephanopoulos do things like after a debate, uh, you see them running into like the press, you know, rooms where the press are gathered. And they just deliver talking points. They're like, oh, wow, you know, uh, uh, lots of knockout blows for Clinton tonight. Uh, you know, well, uh, uh, big, big night for Clinton. I thought Bush looked weak, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, this is hardly this is not yeah, right, like right, Sun Tzu's right. The Art of War. You know, <laughs> like this is I mean, this is, uh, you know, this it's really, you know, it's really the the cheapening of politics and it's kind of final collapse into marketing bullshit and 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 spectacle and and you know i think in, inadvertently perhaps a film like the war room um you know which is a piece of filmmaking is great um you know kind of invites us to celebrate all that and to sort of be wowed by it and so and you know here we are uh 30 years later basically and we're still having to listen to james carville's you know half-formed takes about the american political landscape um you know like he's got um, you know, like he has access to this, you know, this, uh, this special knowledge. Um, all right. So again, uh, for the full conversation with Luke Savage, uh, go to patreon.com, uh, slash, uh, Ben Burgess, uh, five bucks a month. Uh, you get all of, uh, all those patron episodes. You get post games on Monday nights. You get access to the discord server, uh, the monthly discord movie nights, uh, the, uh, Discord office hours, which we are going to start going back to uh, to doing, um, and most importantly, you support the work that we do here in uh, educating you and informing you, which we are now going to continue with our conversation with noted Ben Shapiro scholar Nathan Robinson. Oh, so God. that is what I am now, though. I know. I it's true. It's true. 
I can't believe I've developed an expertise in this man, but I have. So thank you for having yeah. me, Ben. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th I think actually probably one of the first, I'm um, trying to remember the chronology. I, I might be getting this mixed up in my head, but I think that one of the first articles that I ever uh, read from you before I knew you was um, one that was about uh, Shapiro uh, that was memorably yeah. called uh, the cool kids philosopher. Which the, the New York kids. Times branded him. Yes, there was a New York Times profile of Shapiro that referred to him as the uh, as the cool kids philosopher, uh, which is you know, but um, in uh, you know, which which is the sort of thing that like this is uh, you know that this is my favorite sort of like um, Nathanish activity that you do you know on on behalf of everybody else doing these like super deep dives into these guys to write these like 10,000 word takedowns of the absurdity yeah. of uh of everything uh of everything that they write uh which you you did a follow up one just recently um uh it's every, everything it's entitled everything Ben Shapiro says is still worthless uh and and one of the and I want to get into the the specific arg arguments that you mentioned here but but I do want to just set up a little bit part that I think part of the reason that you did this and is oftentimes when you know there are people on on the left um who will you know might might consume shows like this you know who to say Man, you're doing a whole episode on Ben Shapiro. I mean, isn't isn't he yeah. isn't that guy guy kind of yesterday's news? Uh, and um, and and you bring some some disturbing empirical information into the beginning of this about why that's wrong. Yeah, is this a Facebook post? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I, I I you know I have uh, yes in the uh, the statistics of the top 10 there's an account that posts the top 10 most popular facebook posts on any given day from all accounts and uh this was just for a random day june 17th uh number one ben shapiro number two ben shapiro number four ben shapiro number six seven uh ben shapiro ben shapiro so uh i, I think it's like six of the top 10 facebook posts in the united states are uh, posts by Ben Shapiro. I have that. I, I mean, I have the same instinct as those people. You know, why? Why do you care about that guy? Why are you dealing with that guy? Interestingly, um, one of the whole reasons, though, that I started Current Affairs was that I rejected that philosophy because I had uh, an article that I submitted to a magazine about Thomas Sowell, the libertarian mm -hmm. economist, and the editor replied to me and said, "Well, this is a very interesting article, but who cares about Thomas Sowell? Like, he's irrelevant." And Thomas Sowell is probably the best-selling economics writer in the country. Right. But it, he's, he's widely read. And the same with Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is probably the most listened to or one of the top most listened to political commentators in the country. So if we ignore him, and I would love to have ignored him after that first article, we are ignoring what other people are listening to and being persuaded by and watching. Yeah, exactly. Uh Gerard, uh, Gerard thanks you for the super chat. Um, says uh, some people have to quit working McDonald's because gas for the drive to work costs more than earnings. Uh, it's absolutely true. That that reminds me, by the way. Um, so you you had pointed out in the private chat that uh, beyond the problem that we pointed out, uh, there's yes. another really straightforward yes. uh, problem with the <laughs> Shapiro yeah. uh, success sequence article argument from earlier. Oh my god. This, this 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 drives me up the wall, Shapiro, with this success sequence, right? Because he says, "Oh, well, all you have to do is uh, get uh, uh, graduate high school, get married, 
have a job and you won't be poor. And as you pointed out, well, technically, if you have a full-time job, you are not poor because a minimum wage full-time job pays more than the, the poverty line, right? So forget. Right. But well, you might be poor and more accurate said that you're good, you're not going to be poor in the sense that's used for this. Yeah. Yes, right. Your income. Now, whether your life, as you said, as the uh, commenter just put it, right, it might be that all of the money you get, you have to spend trying to keep yourself alive. Um, but there's a bigger point, which is the, that a, a full third of the population of poor people is children. Right. He is telling children. Why haven't they graduated from high school and got married and got a job? If they graduated from high school and they had a job and they were married, they wouldn't be poor. And then another, if you look at this, this is for the Brookings Institute. I know he knows what the Brookings Institute is because he cites because they developed the success sequence and he loves to cite it because they're liberals. Okay, 32% children, 12% old people who he wants to put to work and says should graduate high school. Another 11%, which gets us over the 50% mark, is disabled people who he wants to put to work. And then you see that down at the bottom left there, caregivers and students. So he wants to take people who are full-time caregivers for people who can't take care of themselves. They should go to work. And the students who are full-time students should go to work. So when you actually look at the population of poor people, it tends to be people who can't have full-time jobs. And Ben Shapiro's advice to them is, why don't you have a full-time job? And this is why Ben Shapiro is an idiot who doesn't understand anything about poverty in America. I'm sorry. This really, really drives me out the wall because he repeats it over and over as if, and you were talking about uh, you know, values infecting science, you know, these are just facts. The fact is that if you get, and it sounds so reasonable, oh, if you only graduated high school, he says, oh, these are decisions that you can make. If you make these decisions, then you won't be poor. And it sounds reasonable if you know nothing. But the moment you right. know something about the population of poor people in America, it begins to sound ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of reminds me of, you know, my, my, my wife likes, you know, ESPN much more than I do. I mean, I enjoy watching an occasional hockey game or whatnot, but, you know, but she's much more into it. And when we first got together, there was this ESPN show that she watched. So I ended up watching a lot of it uh, called uh, Numbers Never Lie. Uh, and the format of the show is that the co-host would have an argument about some like sports question of the week. And then they would like trot out some statistic at the end that would supposedly solve it because numbers never lie. And this drove me crazy. Uh, in, in, in a way she probably found kind of annoying that I went on about because of course numbers can mislead like crazy. You're, yeah. you're picking one statistic to use to treat as if it solved the argument. But of course, um, as the success sequence example shows, right? Like it could very well be that there are three other numbers that if you had chosen to mention them at the end of the segment would have complicated the impression. It could be that in the way that Kale was talking about that you have to have, um, that you have to have like underlying priorities to decide which data to look at, you know, in, in the first place. I, I just love that implicitly Ben Shapiro's solution to child poverty is child labor and child marriage. Because I can't think of anything else based on what he said. Right? I mean, he, he, when 
he's asked about poverty when he talks about poverty. This is what he discusses as the solution is labor and marriage. And, uh, you know, and he has all this stuff where he goes, well, if you work in America, you know, you'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> and it's like, okay, are we applying that to everyone? I don't know if he has another solution. I think he just doesn't, I mean, I, I, I he hasn't thought about it. We know he hasn't thought. Yeah, about it. no, fair enough. Uh, and, um, uh, Daniel Slapkoff, thank you for that. Uh, Sung Ha Hong, not familiar with, but we'll check out. Um, uh, Strom McCallum says the poverty threshold yeah. is way too low, which is certainly true. Uh, that yes. it's uh, it'd be much more meaning. I mean, again, literally, you know, minimum wage times forty hours gets you, you know, gets you above uh, poverty line uh, in in every in every state. So yes, no kidding. If you have a job plus two or three things that we arbitrarily package together to make a misleading, a statistically misleading point, then uh, you then sure. Um, you know, you're above the poverty line. Uh, not very important and uh, not very um, informative uh, to uh, to focus on that. But uh, because we are talking about facts and feelings, before we get into the other mm -hmm. economic uh, arguments uh, that Shapiro makes that you talk about in your article, uh, I do want to talk about one of his cultural uh, arguments a little bit. Uh, and this is, uh, this is one of the ones that... Um, you know, is a Shapiro uh, classic uh, fixation. Uh, you talked about it uh, in in your article. Uh, I think everybody talks about Shapiro talks about it because he's been banging this drum for as long as I think he's been doing what he's doing. But this is a very recent example. Uh, Kale, do we have the uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson clip? I guess the the area where it does come up in in a non sports area. Yeah, tell me. Now, I don't would, know. So it would be you, you talk in your book about the education of children and teaching children about science. And right yes. now children are being taught about the quote-unquote gender spectrum, which is not scientifically based. That is a, that is a theory-based idea. No, no, wait, 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 hold on. People express themselves on a spectrum. So you learn that. That's a social, that's yeah, a social sure. point, it's, not a scientific point. It's, it's, who, Meaning we, we express ourselves wait, wait, hold on, hold on. in based in different languages. Is that something you teach in science class, or is that something that you teach when you're teaching language? Um, so whether the fact that people want to express themselves on a spectrum, on a gender spectrum, whether that fact is something you want to put in a sociology class or in a science class, maybe that remains to be determined. But it is a real fact about Real society. Well, of course, nobody's denying that people identify how they want to identify. So, so, so. The question I, is, what I, is the relationship of that to biology? Meaning that I, the argument is made that trans women are women, for example. And what that seems to mean is that trans women are identical to women. Now, if people want to say trans women are not biological women, obviously that is the case. But people don't seem to want to say that. Although that is obviously scientifically true. Trans women are not biological women. Biological women are biological women. But where are you going with this? What, what, what is your. What is your? What are you trying to accomplish by s asking yourself, "Is it science or is it not science?" It's how it's but, people in society. They, they, they... Oh boy! So, I like that. Where are you going with this? Because because I I, I, I I mean I think I think that's kind of the um, yes. Yeah, please. 
You know, well, Shapiro has been hung up on this for a long time, and uh, this is one of his central issues, and he just basically repeats the same thing over and over, uh, which is uh, that trans women are not real women because they're not biological women, and so they're trying, you know, you can't become something by saying that that that's that's what you are. And, you know, there's this incredible video on Ben Shapiro by Natalie Wynn, ContraPoints, where she mm-hmm. explains in, in, at, at, at great length. And she, she tries to be real careful to explain it in a way that he can understand where he is going wrong, which is that words, the words we use, are choices. And so right. to, when you say biological woman we could use that term to mean to refer to chromosomes if we wanted to we could use that term to refer to we could use it to refer to identity how people feel I mean, we could biology right what you, cho- you we choose the categories that we use if we want the word woman to refer to anything we can make that word refer to that thing and as neil degrasse tyson is trying to point out to him the social categories of gender are quite real. And so the language has developed to accommodate how people actually express themselves, how they are in the real world. And Ben Shapiro tries once to change language to be decoupled from how gender operates in the real world. And the reason this is an absurdity, right, is because you see that even he can't maintain it. Because I pointed out in the first article that I wrote about, he was, he was talking about Laverne Cox. And he said, Laverne Cox, she. And then he caught himself and he went, I mean, he, right? He misgendered Laverne Cox because he wants to insist that Laverne Cox is not a, quote, biological woman and so must therefore be referred to with male pronouns. But he knows full well that in terms of the social categories of gender, Laverne Cox is a woman. He can't even keep himself from thinking of Laverne Cox as a woman because everyone thinks of Laverne Cox as a woman. And so he's trying to force us to adopt a conception of language that isn't natural. And, you know, Natalie tried to explain this. She's like, you know, these are words. We pick the words. Uh, nobody actually is arguing about the biology. He thinks people are arguing about biological That's- facts, right? He thinks people are arguing about biological facts when they're actually arguing about what the words we use, right? No, they're, they're, nobody- they're arguing about that. The normal significance of the of the biological facts. No trans. This is what trans people write in response to him. He never listens because he never wants to actually discuss this with anyone who would know something and could could put him in his place. Right? He didn't respond to Natalie. Uh, he hasn't responded to any of the leftists who've offered to debate him. Um, you know, but what they what what trans people point out is they think about their biology constantly. They know what their chromosomes are. They know why they take hormones, right? They know that they're, <laughs> right, they're, right, they're, right. They're, they know that their hormones are naturally different, which is why they have to take hormones, right? So they're not delusional. They understand fully well exactly their, but they have a much better understanding of their biology than he does, right? But you know, he 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 really he really really does not get. And I, I constantly cite Julia Serrano, who's a PhD biologist, you know, and and is a, and is a trans woman, and she has all these writings about like, uh, you know, where she's like, I get the biology. I studied from a bio, I you know, I studied biology professionally. But what you do not get is is words. And that's what Natalie says. She says, it's not I who misunderstand biology, Ben Shapiro. It's you who misunderstand language. And it's a point yeah. that he still hasn't grasped. Yeah, because because it's like what you said earlier, right? It's a choice 
right, about how to use language that, uh, of course, uh, like what he's insisting on. And I love that from the earlier video, the uh, his phrase, use the phrase uh, biologically correct pronouns, you know, which which I, I, I can't, you know, that, that's an amazing combination of words because it suggests the actual pronouns are, are, are part of biology somehow. Uh, but uh, the, the choice of, of which words you, you make, you mean, like it's a, um, sure, one internally consistent way of, of slicing up the world with language is to uh, insist on using, um, you know, terms like gender, man, woman, you know, he, she, etc., to refer to chromosomal sex. That's one way that's internally consistent. It's not the only internally consistent way of using it. You can, you can use right. it to, re to refer to gender identity, gender presentation, some combination of these things uh, in ways that are all, all co also completely internally consistent. Uh, and the question is, well, at least in most contexts, right, what's the, the morally uh, better, uh, you know, like linguistic framework uh, to, uh, to use? And this is something that I think we have no trouble understanding in other contexts, right? I mean, like, so that uh, I really like Sophie Grace Chappelle, say, a trans uh, philosophy professor, has has a nice um, analogy that I think has become quite popular about um, about parents, right? Like, like, sure, yeah. we can use words like parent, mother, father, etc. One internally consistent way of using words like that is to exclusively refer to a biological relationship. And certainly that's how we sometimes use it. You know, when, when, you know, the test came back and you're not the father, right? Everybody understands what father means there. Uh, but it's not the only way uh, that we use it. And, um, and it, we also, we also use it to describe a social fact, you know, that's, that's different from biology. In most cases, the two coincide. In some cases they come apart and we have to choose what linguistic framework to use. And it is and to push Chappelle's uh, metaphor here. I mean, you know, we, we could imagine some hypothetical world where there were like some like there was some lunatic fringe of bigots who for whom it was very, very important that adoptive parents not be given any of the normal legal rights or protections of uh, yeah. biological parents. And, you know, they could use no one could allow a person to end a PTA meeting. Parent is a word that has a definition. Damn it. It's biology. Yeah. Well, the way to understand Ben Shapiro is that it's the he is the equivalent of a person who meets someone whose parents uh, adopted them and says, those aren't your parents. And, and the person goes, yes, these are my parents. You know, they adopted me when I was. And he goes, no, 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 no. Parents is, is biology. They're not your biological parents, so they're not your parents. And, and the answer in that is he's wrong. Right. He's wrong mm -hmm. because that's not how the term is used. Right. He is pretending that there is some that language is sort of given to us by the world, as, as you said, that like, you know, the concept, the concepts are, are embedded in the in the biology. Um, but that's not true. Right. We we make the concept of parents. And if 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 parents is parenting is a social relationship, it is not correct to say those aren't your parents, because all you're saying is I am choosing not to accept that those because I have a different personal definition of the word that is not the definition of the word that you choose. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, one could almost say that, like, just willfully misunderstanding uh, the difference between biological and social facts, or the fact that language can refer to either, um, you know, is is a bit, you know, smacks a bit of ignoring facts that you don't like uh, because you have strong feelings. 
but uh, but I, I do want to um, I do want to bring on uh, Gene Bajalon in just a minute, uh, you know, to uh, to join us. But uh, but first, I want to just do a lightning round of uh, some of the other Shapiro arguments uh, that you mentioned oh, yeah. uh, in uh, in this article. Uh, so uh, there are um, so there are a few of these. Uh, the uh, the first one uh, was about uh, minimum wage. Uh, Shapiro says that minimum wages are quote predicated on a very stupid notion unquote, which is that employers are Scrooge McDuck. They have a money pool called profits. So this is uh, you know people who who are as old as I am will remember Ducktales. You know Scrooge McDuck uh, swam around in a swimming pool of, of gold coins. Uh, this is the uh, this is the metaphor that uh, that the other Ben is calling back to. Uh, so they have a pool called profit could be shared with their workers if it was pried open through the use of law. That this is what people who support uh, raising the minimum wage to you know fifteen dollars or honestly I think it should be more than that, but whatever. Uh, to at this point, um, this is what they have in mind. So uh, Nathan, is this not yeah. in fact the uh, the right way to understand what's going on here? Well, yeah, he says it's a stupid notion, but it's actually just a legal d a description of how a corporation is structured as a legal institution, which is that a corporation, as we know, is a, is a profit-maximizing entity that does, in fact, direct a big pool of money over to its shareholders, its owners. And, you know, it is structured by the law. The law can change that structure. And if the law says that instead that pool of money, uh, before it goes to the owners, uh, has to be uh, it's labor costs, at least uh, when you're, you know, there's a minimum wage. And if you if you employ people, you have to pay them at least $15. The law can do that. And in fact, what we find is that when the law does that, um, the effects of Ben Shapiro leans very heavily on the old uh, minimum wages cause unemployment argument, right, which Thomas Sowell uh, as well does, which a lot of libertarians really, really cling to because they need it to be true. Because if it's not true, um, then it suggests that all they have is like the inherent defensive property rights, right? So if... Um, they really need it to have to minimum wages to have bad effects because if minimum wages have good effects, it's going to make it really hard to convince people to be libertarians. Um, and so, as a result, they've had to ignore the growing body of empirical literature that has persuaded the economics profession over the course of the last thirty years that, in fact, minimum wages are not a bad thing. And they have to all sort of pretend that economics hasn't advanced in thirty years, where it has. And we've actually found out uh, that when you put more money in workers' pockets. They spend the money uh, employing more workers, right? And uh, as a matter of fact, there, nobody's found massive uh, effects from uh, increased minimum wages on uh, employment. Uh, and so, you know, Ben Shapiro is stuck trying to convince people of facts that are just, just, just totally out of step with the empirical literature. Yeah, it, it's also worth noting there is a fact value thing going on here too, because um, let's say for the sake of argument that the... Um, that that there was like you know that you have uh you know that there's a two percent you know if you increased the federal minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour or twenty dollars an hour that there'd be a two percent or three percent increase in uh in unemployment well okay uh first that only ends the argument if you assume that increased employment is um is is like worse than uh, the then all these people being able you know who still have jobs being paid living wages is is bad. Uh, there's also the whole wacky question uh, as as uh, you and I pointed out in a uh, in an article that we wrote uh, last 
summer uh, for um, time is blurry, but I think it's summer uh, about uh, about Glenn Beck's uh, socialism book that, you know, of course, the if this is true, hey, socialists also want to have a federal uh, jobs guarantee. Uh, so, you know, I'd presumably, of course, yeah. people like Beck and Shapiro wouldn't support that. But at that point, they have to kind of admit that their their concern is really with business owners and not with workers. Yes. All right, let's do the next one in the uh, in the the lightning round. Uh, uh, debunking unions. Uh, this is uh, Shapiro. Um, is how Shapiro describes what he's doing, which is an interesting combination of words. Uh, how does Shapiro think he's debunked unions, and uh, why hasn't he? Oh yeah, I mean he focuses on on teachers unions. Um, he says he's debunking unions, but uh, just one of the interesting things here was I first noticed this video because uh, Ben Shapiro posted his debunking unions video on Facebook, and then if you look at the comments, interestingly, like his even his followers are not really buying it because a lot of them are from union families, and they're like, well, I, you know, I make a a lot more than non-union people in my trade, um, and and ultimately he has to in this case avoid what is sort of the central fact about unions, which is that union labor is paid more, right? Um, which everyone, everyone knows, right? This is employers complain about having to pay union workers more. Uh, there is a union wage premium where if uh, across, across everywhere, right, you're better off as a worker, you're almost certainly better off being in a union. This is even after dues than not being in a union. It is in the interest of workers to unionize because it increases their bargaining power. They get more money. That pool of profits is pried open. Um, and so Shapiro really, actually, I was, I was kind of shocked at how uh, little uh, he does to debunk even teachers unions. Um, you know, it's, God, what did he even, he even said? Oh, yeah, he said um, essentially that uh, he, they, we're making too many demands about COVID safety protocols um, in schools um, and that it's unfair that they can lobby. They can both, it's unfair that teachers can both try to get politicians elected and that those politicians set their salaries. Um, he's, he's very, he leans very heavily on the idea that it's sort of a corrupt arrangement to have a union be a participant in politics and also uh, have politics be be setting salaries. Um, the interesting thing about that, of course, is that teachers aren't really uh, paid very well. <laughs> um, you know, his, his whole thing is about teachers you're just soaking the, the, the state. But even though unions get you more money than you would otherwise get, uh, teachers don't end up being particularly well paid, even particularly well paid public sector employees. Um, so, you know, without without having unions, uh, teachers would make really, really, truly abysmal wages. And one of the reasons people talk, oh, the bad teachers in, in America. Well, one of the reasons, uh, you know, that a lot of people leave the teaching profession is because it's it's incredibly poorly paid. Um, so, I mean, there's really nothing in this in this video. I really tried to deal with the arguments, but I, I th there were not really arguments here. There was just a sort of vague suggestion that teachers unions are, are, have a corrupt bargain with the state. Yeah. Uh, also, it's fun that that's corrupt, right? Uh, like, like if, you know, all of everything else, if, if you're a business and you're regulated by the state, there's... Yes. Uh, contractors, yeah. right? Private sector military contractors, right? Uh, <laughs> now, who cares? Yeah. 
No, exactly. All right, uh, let's uh, let's bring on Gene Bajalan, uh, who uh, of course uh, is uh, is also uh, a. I'm not going to do the the bench pure scholar uh, joke again. Uh, Gene uh, is uh, uh, Gene uh, is a is a good uh, good friend of the show. Uh, he uh, you can watch him regularly on This Is Revolution. Um, but, uh, I, I want to, I wanted to talk, uh, a little bit about, uh, some of, uh, Shapiro's bizarre and, and horrible foreign policy, uh, arguments, uh, with, with Gene, but while you were still here, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to, to switch it up. Uh, Nathan, you got a few more minutes? Nathan? Oh, sorry. Uh, do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Okay. All right. Excellent. So while you're still here, uh, I want to switch it up a little bit and uh, talk about uh, this book. Uh, it is a very early, like like real Ben Shapiro scholars will know this. Uh, it's a uh, it's a very early uh, Ben Shapiro um, contribution to the world. It's called How to Debate Leftists and Destroy Them: uh, Eleven Rules for for Winning the Argument. Uh, as as we all know. Uh, the the goal of arguments is to destroy people. That's that's the that's the purpose, you know, for for which anybody would make an argument. I don't know what else, you know, what other purpose there would be. Um, you mentioned Natalie Wynn earlier. I remember an early ContraPoints video having a good uh, line about this. You know, it's just quoting commentators talking about how you know they were going to destroy her and you know uh, using some very rapey metaphors and, you know, it's just, is that, is that really the point of, of reading? I, I, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, he has, um, but he has 11 rules and, and, I, and I was just hoping we could go through these. Uh, Gene, are you ready to hear the, uh, Ben Shapiro's 11 rules for debating leftists and destroying them? Sure. Uh, and it's nice to be here and nice to meet you, Nathan. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very, nice to meet you too. Uh, even though you were talking bad about mushy peas on Facebook, which really upset me. I apologize. There was a discussion of British food. I was defending British food. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You must try the okay. delicacy of the mushy peas when they're done to perfection. There were a lot. I uh, People were mad at me about dissing the mushy people, peas. Mushy peas. And just I for everybody that. to know, mushy peas are actually uh, chickpeas. They're not peas. There you mm. go. That's the, that's the, that's the key trick to it. But yes, let's do the let's yeah, do yeah, the yeah, should, rules. Let's do the should, rules. We should say that uh, that that Nathan has been um, uh, has has been learning to uh, to cook. Uh, oh yes, which we, yes. <laughs> it's been fascinating. I'm doing cooking videos now. Yeah. <laughs> so which which is um, pivoting. Yep. You know, yeah, no, I, and I like that, right? Like, I, I started cooking a lot more during the pandemic, but man, I sure wouldn't have done it on YouTube. Uh, so, uh, so, so respect for that. Yeah, it was a mistake, but people can watch <laughs> my journey. All right, so uh, here, here are Shapiro's uh, eleven rules. Uh, Going to do them, I think. You know, I think maybe three at a time because uh, that's that's probably the only way of taking yeah. these all in. Eleven's a lot. Uh, so, um, rule number one, walk towards the fire. All right. Rule number one, walk towards the fire. He says you have to take the punch. You have to brush it off. You have to be willing to take the punch. That's the first rule. Uh, rule number two, hit first. 
Uh, in explaining this rule, he says, don't take the punch first, hit first, hit hard, hit where it counts. He's very fond of boxing metaphors. Um, if, if I were a cruel person, I might speculate about how much actual boxing he's done, but uh, we're just going to move on. Uh, and um, rule number three, frame your opponent. Uh, he says that uh, leftists are always characterizing conservatives as horrible bigots. Uh, and you should pre and you should, uh, as a conservative, debating leftists and destroying them. Uh, you should uh, preempt this uh, by characterizing your opponent as untrustworthy. Here's the quote: He says, "There's no way to convince someone that you don't hate him or her. You can convince, however, the opposition is a liar and a hater." So, um, those are the first. Uh, those are the first three rules. You uh, walk into the fire. Uh, you hit first, and you uh, you frame your opponent. Well, I would like to see Ben Shapiro go to a, a, a pub in Rotherham and try those kind of maneuvers, maneuvers out, see him walk into a punch on a Saturday night. And the, it's, the violence metaphors are really amazing. I, I, this, like, posturing, it, it, it shows the kind of posturing nature of Ben Shapiro's nonsense it's like it's like a fight it's not actually an exchange of ideas it's not about convincing people it's about you know posturing and looking good to the outside it's a performative art and then he gives away the game doesn't he, he says like uh, and then you have to like discredit your opponent which i assume would include lying about them as well because you know that's a another classic maneuver that we see see people using to smear and defame people so yeah it's just like typical ben shapiro posturing debate as a methodology of entertainment rather than pedagogy. I think this book is quite interesting because it's a, it's just a sort of direct admission that people can't trust him. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it comes out and says, I am not seeking truth here. I am just seeking to make leftists look bad by any means necessary. Uh, it's a very kind of Machiavellian. Um, we're going to, I will, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, what do whatever I can to discredit you, uh, forget the ideas, forget the facts. Um, and so his whole brand, of course, is about facts and about debate and reason and whatever. But he admits right here that that's not at all what he's interested in doing. Yeah, no, this is, it's, it is a fascinating, um, it's, a, it's, it's a fascinating list. So number four is frame the argument. He says the left always frames the debate with buzzwords like tolerance and social justice, um, but you shouldn't fall for that. Uh, so he gives the example, uh, instead of arguing about whether it is unjust or intolerant to deny legal recognition to same-sex marriage, uh, for example, he recommends making leftist debate, quote, why marriage should be redefined and how this will strengthen the institution. Uh, five is... Um, a little different from the rest, so we'll just, just skip that for a second. Uh, six is force leftists to answer questions. Seven is don't get distracted. Eight is uh, you do not have to defend people on your side. So I guess the idea is like if you're, you know, arguing with with somebody and they bring Donald Trump, you know, you don't just because you're a conservative, you don't have to defend Trump. Uh, nine is if you don't know something, admit it. Okay, admirable. Um, uh, 10, let the other side have meaningless victories. And 11, body language matters. Um, 
But I get out of all of this, and, and we have skipped one, and we'll get back to that one, but is that we've gotten, we've gone through 10 of the 11 rules, and some of them are a little shady in the way that I think Gene puts his finger on, and certainly there's some embarrassing metaphors going on. But put that aside, the 10 that we've covered, one thing that they're not about is, you know, reasoning or, you know, making a good argument or, or anything like that, anything even in the vicinity of that. They, 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 they just frankly just don't even pretend uh, to, to be about that. I mean, what, what about the facts and the logic? Thought he was all about the facts and the logic. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it really points to the pseudo politics that so many of these right wing commentators engage in. It, it's it, it's not about facts and logics. Like I said, it's all about performance. This is a this isn't a guide to how to debate people. This is a guide to how to act on a stage. So you know, it points to this as being entertainment and not uh not political education because the you know it's not about winning uh winning an argument through facts and logic it's about winning an argument through posturing and turning a debate into a kind of popularity contest right i mean and that that's why i'm very skeptical of the debate as a format i know i'm on give them an argument so uh, you are you are the, uh, the the debate champion of the left, then to a certain degree I would say, but uh, you know I'm skeptical of of, of the 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 um, the genre because debating these guys on the right, you know, having a debate requires the two sides to be engaging in good faith, and like Ben Shapiro is just telling us like don't engage with the left on good faith. It's not about engaging on facts and logic. It's all about these uh, tricks debate club tricks that you use to give the appearance of being uh, confident of your views and make your opponent look like they are not confident of, of their views and thus to an audience that isn't paying too much attention uh, it seems that you have the stronger ideas because you perform in a stronger way than your opponent rather than actually uh, uh, you know getting getting down to brass tacks and like testing ideas through of facts and logical argumentation that would be my take it's just like a, a a how to do a show guide well i think it's, i think it's really I, there's something very disturbing about this because by using debate argumentation facts as a, as a brand and draining those words of of their meaning i mean his latest show the one that i was uh, writing about is called debunked right where he says that he's debunking left wing arguments but it's it he's not actually debunking he's not dealing with left wing arguments he's not even doing any debunking right he's using these same kinds of tricks and what's frustrating, I think what is, uh, I, I think you'd probably agree with this, Ben, is that, you know, people who do value, uh, who do think that arguments need to be dealt with and debunked and who do debate in good faith and who do believe in exchanges of ideas, um, find these things almost discredited or, or made meaningless because there are practitioners like Ben Shapiro for whom it is um, empty theater. Yeah, so I, I guess I guess the one thing I would say though is I mean I understand what you're saying, Gene, but also I think that 
Like there is a reason why I, I remember there was some university a year two 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 ago, maybe a couple of years ago, um, where uh, the uh, they they had like I think Paulo's Republicans had had brought in uh, had brought in Shapiro to to speak and uh, Pert and some people I'm sure the thing is a huge gift uh, to to the Shapiro's of the world which is trying to get them deplatformed which then allows them to say aha my ideas are so dangerous you know and and, and edgy you know that they try to silence me which is what they build their brands off of but uh, but they college democrats or some aggressive group brought down nathan here and uh and he um and and nathan ended up giving a, a talk uh but he, he what he wanted to do uh and I, I think said many times was to make it a debate uh with with shapiro and i think there is a reason i think shapiro knows what he's doing when he uh you know he's willing to debate like you know random 19 year olds in the q a maybe sure right but but he probably like, like like he probably has somebody like in his detail when he goes around to campuses. There's probably somebody like whose whose whole job is to like watch out for like approaching men with uh, transatlantic accents and brightly colored suits to make sure that he doesn't accidentally get trapped <laughs> into arguing with Nathan. You know, like I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, when he, he's, he's, that. he's the equivalent. It's the it's he's the equivalent of a WWE wrestler, right? You know. Uh, Nathan is like Mike Tyson and uh, Ben Shapiro is like Macho Man Randy Savage. Now, Macho Man Randy Savage may have a very buff body. He may look intimidating, but Mike Tyson's going to go through him. Uh, like so it's the, you know, the different uh, right wing debate culture, I think, is a lot like WWE in that it gives the appearance of, of, of some kind of like intellectual activity when in fact it is purely choreographed and acts, as you say, most of these uh, most of these chappies. There are some exceptions of people who will, uh, uh, you know, debate people. But most of these people, as you note, they engage in highly controlled circumstances in order to maximize the effectiveness of their message because their objective is propaganda, right? It isn't to like. It's not like Ben Shapiro is going to uh, change his mind because Nathan presents like, uh, you know, Blair White on the trans issue gave him like all the very strong arguments about, uh, um, about you know, using pronouns and, and all those things. And he just refused to accept them, right? He just refused to accept the argument. He had no response to it because, well, you know, that's, yeah, that's no, not, it's not his objective. So, you know, it's a futility, you know, like, yes, say to them, these guys won't debate, right? But there's actually a futility in debating them because, like, they're like professional wrestlers. It's, it's, uh, uh, if you shatter well, the like, illusion. Here's why, here's, here's why I disagree a little bit because I think that, um, I think it's important to be clear on what the goal is if you're going to debate any of these people. Like, like if, um, like if Shapiro, somehow decided that he was going he would actually be willing to talk to anybody on the screen right now which he absolutely has never and 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 you know I, I'm, I'm not holding my breath for that to happen but why do I actually think that would be a useful exercise it's certainly not because I think that the result would be uh, that 
he would come into that and, tr and with an open mind and treat it as a good faith, rational discussion or, or anything like that. But the goal isn't to convince Ben Shapiro. Uh, the, uh, the goal uh, is, uh, the goal is to convince or at least plant seeds of doubt in uh, anybody who's persuadable, who's watching. I mean, which, which is, uh, which I think is always the goal. I mean, even if you're just like arguing with somebody on social media, overwhelmingly the chance is that the person you're arguing with in that moment uh, is, is probably, you know, has too much ego invested in it that, you know, to, to admit that they're wrong right then. Um, and that's going to be a thousand times more true. And I mean, this doesn't even have to, this applies to human beings vastly better than Ben Shapiro uh, that, uh, you know, they can, as once, once somebody is doing this professionally and their whole professional identity wrapped around their politics, psychologically, that's going to make it way harder to admit that they're wrong. So again, I don't think the goal is to convince them. I think the goal is to convince people who are watching or at least to contribute, you know, to convince people who are watching. But uh, I want to, uh, before we, we go to the, the post game uh, and get into some of the foreign policy stuff, uh, I do want to talk about the one rule that we missed, because this, this is the only one that has anything to do with reasoning, is rule number five, which is spot inconsistencies in the left's arguments. All right, finally, we have a rule that has something to do with examining arguments and seeing when they're good, when they give us good reason to believe the conclusion, when they don't. Uh, so in explaining rule number five, spotting consistencies in the left arguments, he gives two examples. Um, he says, uh, leftists, quote, say they want to ban assault weapons to stop gun murders, but that argument is silly because handguns are used to kill far more people than so-called assault weapons, and the left uh, doesn't support an outright handgun ban. Second example, leftists advocate a right to health care, but don't advocate the government require that, quote, a certain percentage of the population go to medical school, unquote. Um, and <laughs> this, this he sees as inconsistency. Oh. So how, how could those right two things care? possibly be consistent? Yeah. Uh, which is kind us. of funny. Kind of funny because Gene brought up the, uh, the the image of of uh, Shapiro walking into a, uh, a pub, and where, where was the pub? Rochdale. It, it's right. not the worst pubs. It, 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 I would say definitely going to East Hull on a Saturday night. No, on a bank holiday Monday, and uh, and trying to tell people about his argument, he's going to get his face smashed in. Uh, which is which is funny because I remember a very funny Doug Stanhope uh, bit in one of his uh, stand-up comedy albums years ago about how um, bar fights are, are way worse and more dangerous in the UK because uh, they have gun control and socialized medicine. Yeah. So that, that is a you don't have to worry that the other guy's gonna have a gun, and you know that if you get hurt, you won't have you won't be bankrupted by right. doctor bills, so uh, you can really go at it. This is actually a hundred percent true because, like, I used to like Manchester and Nottingham had like a reputation of having gun crime, and so like I never had any trouble there. But in Hull, where there's like no guns, I used to come home like with my face beaten in. Like people would just throw randomly throw a glass at you, or they'd punch you in the face, but then they'd go, "Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were somebody else." 
and then they would like buy you a drink and it'd be fine. Or you, you'd say, they'd go, are you looking at my girlfriend? It's like, no, no, I'm not looking at your girlfriend. Like, Why are you saying she's ugly? And you still get punched, whatever you do. So, you know, there was no escaping it sometimes, but you know, uh, yeah, in America, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess around people with people in a dive bar in Springfield. You know, people would go, first of all, they'd probably give me COVID. And secondly, they might shoot me. So, you know, it could be, it could be uh, anything, but yes. Logical inconsistencies. This is Ben Shapiro's thing, right? This was, I mean, this comes down to the PMC culture we talked about on This Is Revolution, where, you know, amongst the educated elite, you know, trying to show yourself to be smarter and more intellectually superior to everybody is like the way to assert your like dominance. Whereas if you go to a working class community and you start acting like Ben Shapiro does, you're going to get thrown through a window. Well, but I, but I thought he believed in punching first and, and walking into the fire. And uh, we'll see what which, how we handle that. We'll yeah, how- yeah. So so I mean I I think um, I mean the gun one is weird because I have no idea what he means by the left there. Or I mean I I do, but I mean it's a weird way of using it, right? I mean at that point he just means like centrist Democrats uh, advocate that, and uh, the actual left last time I checked uh, is actually pretty divided to think about the the gun stuff although even as an objection to the views of centrist democrats it's a weird one because like yeah okay most murders can be committed with 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 handgun but i mean that doesn't mean that if you uh took certain kinds of guns off the street that you can fire very quickly etc that you know you that wouldn't have harm reduction effects uh this this seems kind of nirvana fallacy ish you know that like either you take care of the entire problem in one fell swoop or it's not, you know, or it's not going to have any positive effects at all. Well, most murders are committed with handguns. So why do we ban nuclear weapons? Right. I mean, it's still, it's kind of the same thing. You're like, but it's an assault, assault weapon is, is the reason that we want to ban it is because it can cause a, a larger amount of harm in a smaller amount of time. And that's considered like a preventable problem that we ought to deal with, even if we feel like the right to have a handgun. And also like you might feel like the right to have uh, a handgun actually does matter somewhat more than the right to have some kind of incredibly high capacity uh, weapon that can only function to commit mass murder rather than <laughs> like the only additional benefit it gets you is the addition is the ability to kill more people, right? So they're, they're perfectly, there are ways to make this consistent, but uh, whatever. But you're dodging, but you're dodging the much bigger inconsistency that he pointed out, which is that uh, user uh, claim to believe in a right to health care. So, so, so how about it? I mean, are you going to uh, frog march a certain number of uh, people at gunpoint to medical school or not? This is what a weird. He he's also uh, phrased this as the uh, free health care is slavery for doctors argument yeah. which you might have heard coming from the right which i i still am not quite sure that i grasp it because in countries where there's a right to health care they don't have doctors enslaved and yet uh so i'm not even but there's this idea I, I think it comes from i think the idea is that if you have a right to something it must be an absolute that would be guaranteed no matter what you had to do to enforce it. Because I think they're conceiving of the right to healthcare the way that the right conceives of property rights, 
That is to say, like, you would destroy the universe to protect your property rights. So you would destroy the, you would enslave doctors to guarantee the right to health care. So I think it comes from the fact that they have a quite a different understanding of what a right is um, uh, than, than we do. Which, which, which is funny, because I think that, like, most of these guys do, I mean, they're not, like, anarcho-capitalists, they're just conservatives, like, so most of them do believe in some public services, like, 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 most, like, I don't know, I mean, I think they like our the policemen police. slave, I mean, are policemen slaves, you know, like, the only people to, who can exercise, you know, uh, juridical yeah, do, yeah, do, we, do we have a right to police protection? If right. so... Are, police like, are you going to uh, legally force people? Uh, 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 is everybody in the military a slave? Is uh, is the Congressional Budget Office a, teachers. a slave? A teacher's slave? Teachers. It's just abs it's, it's I, absurd. It's absurd. I even, genuinely even think it's one of the worst documents I've ever heard. <laughs> even on their terms, and I think there's something to what Nathan is saying about like the way that they conceive these rights in this very particular and peculiar way that like even normal people realize that there's a kind of limit limit to this you know like we have free speech we have a right to free speech but there are limits on the right to free speech you know if if i you know what is it the shouting fire in a in a in a, in a crowded theater or you know like directly saying let's murder this guy and then he gets murdered and then i'm like well what about free speech so we all know there's limitations on rights so obviously i think it's an attempt it's it I, I think it's actually honestly they don't even believe that. I think it's just another rhetorical trick yeah. that is used to to like try and make the left wing position seem absurd when in fact their position is absurd. But this is what it comes uh, down to. You, you don't know though where, where the uh, the um you know, I, I, I can never let that go by without pointing out the Supreme Court case where that uh yelling fire to a crowded theater um, you know, was was used was to uh, because the, the court was analogizing this to um, uh, to anti-war protesters passing out uh, anti-conscription uh, pamphlets. But um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly, this is a bizarre conception of a right, uh, and and it's also just kind of a like you know that that's not what people mean. I mean, surely you know that's not what people mean. Like like, like when you say we have a right to healthcare, what you mean is that you have a right to expect that the state will pick up the tab for your healthcare. I, I think this, this gets to, I think, one reason why I do think debate can be quite valuable and why I would like to have, even if... Even if the theatrical tactics mean that I actually I actually don't know that I would do that well in a debate with I, I was I was I, flattered to be compared to Mike Tyson but I don't know that I would do or or, or Ben that you you would do in a, 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 a well in a debate with Ben Shapiro because he has all of these tactics that are designed to make you look foolish right but one th reason I do think it's valuable even when you can't you know beat that even when you can't beat the theatrical aspect of it is if you end up looking reasonable one of the things they depend on the right depends on is making the left look crazy like they really want to portray us as conspiratorial as uh you know as 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 part of this evil marxist conspiracy to control you know to control the country and destroy our founding values and whatever so just by appearing to be a person who isn't stupid evil or crazy uh you can do a lot to kind of delegitimize and discredit the 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 most extreme version of the right wing position. No, I think I think that's right. I mean, I th and I think in 
Shapiro's case particularly, I think that he's so reliant when he interacts with people on the idea that they're just going to be like sputtering or at a loss or getting mad at him uh, that just like literally like debating somebody over the age of 25, I actually think would be a problem, uh, you know, for him. I'm not saying that to slam anybody who's, who's young than that, just that like literally I think that, um, you know, he, what he's most used to is engaging with people at lectures who never engaged with anybody at a public event before. And so, you know, I mean, like the example uh, that uh, in that, in that, New York Times article where they use the phrase "the cool kids philosopher," um, you know the uh, the example that they they used there of the you know, they also referred to Shapiro as a destroyer of bad arguments, which is certainly how he wants to be seen. But the only example they gave was a exchange in you know the Q and A you know after university uh, lecture uh, where where a young woman I think she was twenty two uh, starts to challenge his position on uh on uh your identity trans rights and um and he uh, he says well how old are you 22 and he says well can you just start identifying as being 60 and then she doesn't quite know what to say for a second and then he bulldozes over her uh which by the way is how you act if you know this goes to gene point about you know um wwe that you know, this is definitely how you act if you really care about reasoning. That you don't give a person a chance to think. You know, you you just kind of highlight this this moment. But also, what he's exploiting there is that this is probably the first time she's ever even asked somebody a question at a public lecture. So I mean, she yeah. she doesn't you know like she's somewhat flustered, and he's going to exploit that. Whereas if he were debating Nathan or me or whoever, then. I'm not saying that uh, people who really liked him wouldn't think he'd come out on top. I'm not saying he wouldn't have good moments, anything like that. But I don't think he could get the effect that I think he's very, very used to getting. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to go to uh, the post game. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, we, we have been um, – you know, using the terminology from uh, the PragerU video earlier, exercising our American privilege and uh, focusing on the domestic policy stuff. We're going to get into, uh, thank you so much for the super uh, super sticker, Craig. Uh, we are going to get into some of Shapiro's terrible foreign policy arguments. Uh, the uh, patrons already have the link uh, for the post game. We're also going to get into non, some non-Shapiro content a little bit later <laughs> in the post game. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Nathan. And thank you so much, Gene. Please do. Uh, hey, thanks very much. And I look forward, Nathan, to more cooking videos. Okay. They're coming. They're coming. I'm getting better awesome. slowly. Awesome. Best any of us could ask for. Left is best. <laughs> <laughs>